0: No, the right house. No, I
1: didn't get we there want to talk, and talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water.
2: Will the water be crowded? I can't say I have a lot of hope for the whole thing.
0: She's only known this guy a year.
2: Why are we going then? We're supporting
0: her. Marco tried to murder me when we were girls. She put me on a baking sheet and sprinkled me with paprika and put me in the oven.
1: I'm just writing my vows. Are you working on
0: anything now? Yeah. How about you?
1: I hate that question. What do you do? You ask me. Hello and welcome to the This Hat Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's called Buzz because, yes, we are a honeybee. Every week on This Hat Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my prominent pink hat, Chris File. Hello, Chris.
2: We've moved past bucket lists. We are now onto bucket hats. That's true. We're covering Rob the Reiner's gamut. The bucket hat.
1: Yeah. Okay, oh.
2: <laughs> I was worried about the bucket hat, because I was like, watching this in 2022, is the bucket hat that she wears going to feel less ridiculous because the bucket hat has been re-embraced by Gen Z, ironically or not? And thank goodness it's that basically fuchsia pink. Yes, which feels it really does stand that out. That color itself looks ridiculous in the rest of the movie.
1: Well, even at the time, like I don't think 2007 was even like the heyday of the Bucket Hat era. I feel like she was still probably behind that trend by several years anyway. So (laughs) always, always uh, ill at ease in her circumstances, our Margot. Excited to talk about this movie. We've sort of, we bring this up kind of a lot when we talk about, we've talked about a lot of Kidman. This is our, I want to say, eighth Nicole Kidman movie that we've done. Um, we've talked a lot about Bombbeck on this show, sort of his movies, but also just in general Oscar talk. And we were very happy that our guest this week, Uh, requested this movie specifically because we've wanted to talk to him and we've wanted to talk about this movie and it's the perfect time for it because as we are recording this episode we are t-minus seven days from the academy awards by the time you hear this our listeners uh, the academy awards will be well behind us but we are still in the dark so we will welcome our uh esteemed guest this week pop culture reporter for the new york times author of the column the projectionist and author of the fantastic book blood sweat and chrome all about mad max fury road kyle buchanan welcome to this head oscar buzz hey boys how are you fresh off of a late night at the pgas i guess your late <laughs> night was not quite as late because uh uh, you weren't following your tweets from the East Coast as I was.
0: <laughs> I I don't feel very fresh this season. I actually wish I could time travel to the point where this episode is coming out because it will mean that this is all behind us. Uh, not that I hate covering any of this. Obviously, of course. you know, of course. I that is my job. I, I do see people uh who tweet things like oh i wish this award season was over or longest award season ever and they're the people who cover it 24 7 365 days a year
1: i who Uh, am in the middle of an exhaustive ranking of every uh, nominated movie i'm just like i want this to be over but like i do (laughs) still love it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah listen it's it ain't coal mining um, no exactly, exactly, but yes, um allow your listeners to time travel back a little bit to where coda just won the p g a and it's it's mad chaos, yeah, so going into the final stretch it's it's been wild following you
1: specifically because I know that you are sort of crossing the continent uh promoting your book as you are also covering these awards, <laughs> so like I just saw you at uh from afar at uh, Alamo uh. Talking about the book at a screening of Fury Road, and I didn't walk up and say yeah, hello Brooklyn. because your line of uh, admirers looking for an autographed copy of the book was quite long, all the way to the bar at the Brooklyn Alamo. But um, well, you did get spray painted to say, in I the face. Uh will you
0: later. <laughs> uh, yes, I got spray painted in the face. There was a guy in the front row. Uh, so yeah, it was a screening of Fury Road. I did a Q and A and a signing after. And at the Q&A, there was this guy who was very insistent in the front row that he be called on. And I was not the moderator, for once, (laughs) and had no sway over those things. He was not called on, and they were about to wrap it up. And he was just like, I must, I must, like, shooting that hand up in the air. I must be called on. So we called on him, and he came up, uh, like, crouched right next to me on my director's chair and yelled witness and spray painted his mouth but also my eyes accidentally with uh with silver cake paint i
1: watching it in person i was i i was like oh god i hope kyle didn't get any of that in his eye and then watching you posted the video of it on your social afterwards and i'm like nope yep he got it right in his eye oh no no."
0: (laughs) yeah they don't tell you to expect that when you're writing a book
1: Right. (laughs) Right. That's not in the packet. That's not in the packet that they send you. Cake pain in the
0: eye. Right.
1: So, okay, I want to stick with the PGA, though, for half a second, because, uh, again, this is going to be old news to our listeners, but whatever, we have you here, and I do want to talk about it. Everybody right now that CODA has won the PGA is kind of... Not everybody jumping to the side of CODA's going to win Best Picture, but obviously this is a major precursor. So now it feels like it's almost like a half and half. And Chris and I are also similarly... Uh, divided on this, we've talked about this. Is I've I jumped over to Coda a little bit ago, and and Chris, you've stuck with Power of the Dog, but I think we're both kind of, you know, in flip a coin territory. Well, PGA has
2: become less predictive in recent years than it's been in the past, but it's also not happened right in the middle of Oscar voting, <laughs> so. I could be wrong.
1: I don't know. So, where are you, Kyle? Where are you uh, on this? Uh, where would you lean towards what's going to win?
0: Well, uh, obviously, I want your listeners to remember that I predicted the winner. So, yes. I might just cough <laughs> when I give my ultimate prediction here. Um, I do think what's interesting is that I, I tweeted as much today. Um, that I kind of thought when CODA came out in August and no one was watching it or talking right. about it, right. that maybe it was over with. Uh, certainly that it would have a really hard time mounting an award season comeback. And the funny thing is, and this probably wouldn't happen if you, you know, weren't A, on a streamer, and B, on a streamer with Deep Pockets, right. is that the, uh, the lack of people who saw it in August is actually working in the movie's favor now because they're all catching up with it, and it's playing like a new contender rather than a tapped-out one, uh, like The Power of the Dog, and certainly like Belfast, which at one point was going to be the sort of crowd-pleasing alternative to Power of the Dog.
2: Right. This has been my thing about the movie, too, because also when they started basically doing non-stop Q&As for this movie back in the summer when it first was released, like, it still was able to build, like, a base of support around the movie. But then I think you're also very right that, like, it's probably the last movie that a lot of voters are catching up to.
0: But seriously, my- in August, I thought maybe this will be a, this at Oscar buzz candidate, you know? Totally, we've, yeah. We've seen, and you guys have covered plenty of movies that sold for a bundle at Sundance, and then they came out and no one seemed to care, which was the initial release journey of CODA. Right.
1: Well, the, what I want to ask you specifically, though, because my my feeling over the last few weeks and why I've kind of jumped to CODA is watching all of the ceremonies, the televised ceremonies from SAG to uh, Critics' Choice, even the Indie Spirits, where they weren't really nominated very much except for uh, Troy Kotzer. and... In all of those ceremonies, watching them, just as a TV viewer, I feel like there was a charge in the room whenever Coda would win something. That's when sort of things really seemed to come alive. Everybody in the room really felt like they wanted in on that action. And I was like, well, why wouldn't Oscar voters feel the same way? Now, you have been in many of those rooms. So, like, am I... Off base, am I overrating its appeal in this way? Like, how, are you, how would you feel
0: about that? No, you're not. The award season champion, not just because he's been winning awards, but because he shines at every show, is Troy Kotzer, yeah. uh, who gives absolutely the best acceptance speech of literally every show that he has been at. And I think because he kind of became the face of the movie... That just transfers over to the movie. Now, please, I hope, since I'm recording this before the Oscars, I hope Troy Kotzer does not say anything about Venus and Serena Williams at the Oscars (laughs) while accepting his trophy. Um, But he is just so charming, and he is charming and funny in the way that if you love Coda, you find Coda to be. So it's just an, a real additive experience to have him out there winning things.
1: Well, and also, all of these shows, even when they're not... Uh, because the other thing is, like the, the actors from the film all tend to take the stage together at one point or another, whether to all present something at the same time, or to go up and accept an award on the film's behalf, and... The movie is so much about how much you root for this family by the end and you really want that, you know, the best for them. And because they have been sort of taking to award season as that sort of familial unit, a vote for them is almost like a vote for this family in this movie that if you liked the movie, you're clearly, you know, really rooting for for these guys. So, um, Right.
0: And in a way that uh, if you saw Benedict Cumberbatch and Cody Smith McVeigh on stage together, you would never <laughs> not. Feel the like same. That. However, however, I mean Netflix does have A little bit of that warm fuzziness with Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons, the Internet's favorite couple. I think they're very cognizant of it. They recently sent out mugs with Kirsten and Jesse to the press, kind of hoping for that little uh, Dunst-Plemons bump, too.
1: Netflix will throw swag at you. Like, that is their uh, weapon of choice, I feel like, in award season. I have so many coffee table books at my parents' house Oof. right now that I have no idea what to do with, just sort of weighing down every bit of furniture that's there uh, with these giant coffee Houses table books. Houses will
2: crumble from the weight of Netflix <laughs> art
1: books. My giant hand of God book that I have no idea what to do with. Like, <laughs> okay. Um... I wanted to pivot to obviously uh, Mad Max: Fury Road. Um, this is uh, Blood, Sweat, and Chrome is the title of the book. Uh, specifically, because we are a podcast about um, the Oscars, uh, as uh, tangential as we are towards it. Um, obviously, Mad Max: Fury Road is the movie that it is. Whether the Oscars uh, recognize it or not, Mad Max: Fury Road, the the actual thing of it, right, the thing that's on the screen, it doesn't change whether the Oscars uh, recognized it or not, but the fact that they did, the fact that it did get nominated for so many Oscars and won a bunch of them, it does make that narrative, does it not?
0: Yeah, it does. It, it's a rare case of the Oscars kind of being in the first wave of a of a good critical reaction to a movie like that, you know, yeah. a movie that you could have easily seen. People say years ago, well, that should have been nominated for picture and director, totally. and it was. You know, yeah. I mean, the movie when it came out was an incredible critical success, but not a box office world beater like Avengers or Jurassic World. You know, which both came out that year, Avengers: Age of Ultron. You yeah. know, those movies made billions of dollars. Mad Max: Fury Road got beat its first weekend by Pitch Perfect two. You know, right. and obviously Warner Brothers that uh season did not expect it to be their prize pony they thought that was going to be black mass with johnny depp oh, which just wow. was oh, a, boy. <laughs> a wet squib of a movie and yeah. i think it really took a long time for them to pivot and say okay let's abandon this you know on paper oscar Beatty movie that's not clicking because everyone keeps telling us that actually what they really love is fury road do you
1: have any uh in in researching for the book what are the sort of oscar related anecdotes and stories that jump out at you as your
0: favorites i mean listen because i am me when <laughs> i wrote the rough draft of the book the very first draft the longest chapter was the oscar chapter of course um i had to cut that down obviously because there's no reason that should be the longest one <laughs> But I just loved it because it was full of funny anecdotes and especially petty infighting <laughs> between Oscar bloggers calling each other out, calling out Oscar strategists. I was like, okay, this is ultimately way too Inside Baseball. We brought on way too many uh, oh characters God. with uh, bizarre access to grind. Um, but Oscar I do, bloggers
1: I, in and of themselves could be a uh, post-apocalyptic subculture with... Uh, I was going to say, it's Morton Jones' own
2: army of, uh, you know, heathenistic...
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: uh, I mean, listen,
0: when I got into this game, I was like, am I good at this or am I just not a crazy person? You know? (laughs) Like, maybe it was a low bar. Um, But yeah, so it it is one of those things where I think it provides a nice arc near the end of the book, because you've, you know, you've read about just the craziness and the, the... the two decades that it's taken to mount Fury Road, it, which really is a masterpiece despite any and all odds. Everything right. bad that could have happened to this movie did. You know, if you're interested in how hard it is to make a movie, you don't find a, a wilder, longer, a, a, and ultimately more inspiring, I hope, story than this one. So to see the Oscars kind of get it right and kind of kick off a wave of, of, sort of a recontextualization, like a newfound critical appraisal to be like, no, this isn't just a good action movie. This is like very immediately part of the canon. You right. know, this is a movie that, that that certainly in the years since has only grown and grown and grown and grown. Like you could just tweet the words Mad Max Fury Road and you would get 1,000 retweets. I was going like, to say, right? People just <laughs> love the movie and they're uh, evangelists for it. Yeah. and uh, you rarely see the Oscars kind of get it right in fact I think I mean listen I, I would have liked to see George Miller win director for sure Wouldn't it's kind of wild yeah. to me that Iñárritu won uh, that year for The Revenant two in a row although it's I think ultimately partly
2: because Warner Brothers stalled on making this their top priority like if the, if this had been a higher priority for them they could have probably easily taken that one as well
0: That's part of it, but then you also had Leonardo DiCaprio as his best actor case making the, you know, campaigning on the fact that this movie was incredibly hard to make. So you had him and Mm too making that case, and ultimately, I think they, I mean, they knew that Fury Road was hard to make, but nobody was quite telling those stories yet. Whereas you heard a lot about what was going on with The Revenant and how difficult it was. And I, I guess that's, I think that's what put it over. But certainly on a revote, I mean what Miller accomplished was incredible. My, my only um, thing that I think the Oscars did not get right is that Charlize absolutely should have been nominated that year for Furiosa. And they have sometimes mm-hmm. gotten that kind of thing right. I mean, Sigourney Weaver getting nominated for Aliens. Sure. Love, sure. perfect. Um, and I think she, Charlize absolutely is shoulder to shoulder uh, with what Sigourney did in that movie. And it's a shame that she didn't get in because she worked her ass off for it. But she wasn't around to campaign. She was shooting. Again, they didn't know that it would be a thing where they would need her. And I think they kind of, you know, for her to get into that race, you do have to come back and do Q&As and recontextualize the performance for Oscar voters to go to be like, oh, yeah, that is good. That is significant. And that was challenging.
1: What was she shooting at the time? Was it Huntsman Winter's War?
0: Oh, God. I, I, oh, it was probably. No. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, was just like,
1: what is the worst possible way that that could have ended? Like, what is. Well, I, like-
0: yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of the time when they think they have an Oscar movie on their hands, the publicity demands in their contracts sure. include that sort of carve out where, yeah. you know, the Oscar, the actors are not planning to work when that movie comes out. I mean, that's how Charlize was. With bombshell, You know, right. she also produced that film. And she said, listen, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to shake every hand, talk to every person to yeah. get this movie in the mix. And I don't think she knew or Warner Brothers knew that she would be needed. But it is it is a shame because uh, she's so phenomenal in it.
1: Well, and the George my Miller tip. Of, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris.
2: No, I was going to say I was going to bring it to, like, the Mad Max ceremony. My, rem- my memory of the ceremony is so much that, like... The ceremony clicked into Mad Max gear, and there was like that hour, maybe hour and a half chunk of the ceremony that belonged to Mad Max, and then it stopped as abruptly as it started.
0: (laughs) But also that the people who went on stage, I mean, you know, we talk a lot about um, letting the Oscars actually play all the categories during the live broadcast, and I think Mad Max is a great indication of why you should do that, not just because... A really, you know, big action film is winning a lot of Oscars, which they say they want. Right. But also because the people who were winning those Oscars were really unique weirdos and they made great speeches and sometimes had to get bleeped and wore leather jackets with the Morton symbol studded on them in, in rhinestones. Like like really cool, funny, interesting moments. And you know, sometimes when you recognize those tech categories you get a little bit of those uh who the hell are these people kind of right. vibes that i think give the oscars a little bit of spice
1: they were kind of the like the bad the bad kid equivalent of the new zealand brigade from return of the king when everybody mm-hmm. Uh, when that swept, and they were all sort of the kind of curious people who lived in the in you know their little hobbit towns in in New Zealand or whatever. And then here comes the Mad Max Fury Road gang uh, a decade later, sort of with their with their leather jackets and bad attitudes and everything like that. It was very fun. The thing about the George Miller uh, Best Director thing that I've always found so curious about that particular year is my kind of grand unified theory about the modern this sort of era of the Oscars where best director feels very much often like the culmination of the craft categories, like all the craft categories sort of funnel up to best director, sort of a Quaron for gravity felt that way. And um, in, in a lot of ways, if best picture best director splits this year between power of the dog and coda, like you could have a year sort of like that where like campion sort of gets the technical bravura, uh, you know, culmination in that. And that's how that ceremony felt like it was going, that in under that rubric, Miller would have won definitely. And in Yurichu feels like almost like the vestigial tale of what people thought was going to happen, which was that The Revenant was going to take all of those Crafts Awards. And if given, you know, maybe a few more weeks or whatever of of, uh, voters kind of settling into what this Mad Max narrative was going to be, maybe it would have gotten there. Who you knows?
0: So. I mean, that was a really wild year where, yeah, the guilds were completely spread out. You had spotlight, the big short one PGA, the big Revenant. short winning
1: PGA is some, something that I've totally forgotten about. And I, I looked it up today cause I wanted to see what other times that it didn't, uh, it strayed from best picture at the Oscars. And, uh, that's a wild one that's the that's the outlier i feel like for I,
0: I remember talking to the strategists who work on who worked on spotlight and they truly feel like they pulled it out with just a couple of votes so it's I wild bet. to remember that fury road was in the mix too i mean true, i would love to truly, see those true totals. craziness could have happened although it is worth noting that the same strategists who worked on spotlight then people like lisa taback and albert Tello are also at netflix, netflix now working on things like power of the dog
1: right totally all right, well, we could talk about uh, Fury Road all day, and uh, we want to sort of pivot to our topic at hand. But first off, uh, with all our first-time guests, we want to talk about sort of what you are, we tend to term it as, you know, your Oscars origin story, right? What were your first memories of uh, appreciating the Oscars as a thing, uh, the first year that you really got into it? What, what are your memories of it?
0: I remember watching it every year as a kid, And I've talked about this before, but this is really why I believe in the Oscars always showing clips, which is that as a child, you know, I wasn't being exposed to any of these movies. I wasn't watching art house films or really even, you know, anything that was outside a normal 6-year-old, 10-year-old, 14-year-old's, you know, mainstream grasp. My only real exposure to those sorts of movies were on Siskel and Ebert, and when i would watch clips at the oscars and it was always really involving not just because even if you're you know an amateur who hasn't seen the performances you can watch those clips and make some you know snap judgment about who you think should win but because those clips were a portal into another world a world that i was really eager to eventually inhabit you know uh and so, that's what I remember when I remember the Oscars. Also, studying what my parents would laugh at during the opening monologues, giving me a sense of, <laughs> you know, a, an adult sense of humor, I guess. Uh, and, yeah, I looked forward to it all the time. And, um, and you know, I mean, I have, I think as any uh, cogent person would, like a love-hate relationship with the Oscars. Um, right. You know, again, they don't always get it right. It's so gratifying when they do. But they also don't always get the show right. And it's yes. so gratifying when they do, because it happens way more rarely than, the, the you know, the right thing winning. Um, but the, I, I operate from a place of love, you know, and I think that... Year? What's that?
2: Do we know if they're cutting clips this year? Because, like, honestly... Uh, Clips is probably, like, my favorite answer we've ever had for, like, the thing that, like, logged you into the Oscars. But, like, I do feel that we could have another Clipless Oscars this year. Granted, this could be all moot for listeners, but... You know, it, it's especially interesting with so much of the pageantry being taken away from what the Oscars are to hear that answer now.
0: Well, I'll, I'll just say that the rise of the Oscars clip Twitter account is, I think, indicative of like yes. what people like about award shows and what the Oscars don't understand people like, which is they should be the ones putting out a Twitter account like that. They yes. should be doing it from their own Twitter account. In yep. fact, if you go to their YouTube and you want to watch, you know, a Best Actress win or something... You won't see any clips because they haven't licensed them. Yep. It's like going to watch a drag race lip sync and it's just the beginning and the ending. No right. song. <laughs> right. It's so stupid and it's like no, people care about this and they love seeing the reactions. They love talking about that choice of clip. You know, for that for that Twitter account which is so wonderful to have, you know, become a huge deal for for film fans in just the space of a few short months is an indication of why we watch that show. And, I mean, it's it's true malpractice that, yeah. uh, that last year's Oscars did away with those clips entirely, especially in a year where a lot of people hadn't seen those films. They tune in to know... What is in contention and what should I watch? What am I vibing with? You know, the Oscars are a springboard for a lot of these smaller films to get seen in every possible way. And the clips are a really important part of that.
2: I interviewed Nicole, who hosts the Oscar clips, um, uh, a Twitter account. Uh,
1: Hello, Nicole, we love you. You're doing us all a service. My one glimmer of hope with clips for this year is because last year's ceremony was so... Uh, poorly received and poorly rated. I I do feel like this year they might just like do everything the opposite of what they did last year, and so clips would maybe be included in that. And we'll see. I was sort of I was more mixed on the Soderbergh uh, production than uh, maybe a lot of people, but I do feel like obviously I wanted clips, and hopefully. We will get them.
0: Well, I just don't understand why it's not sort of, like, built into a contract. Yes! That if the studio (laughs) is licensing the clips for use on the broadcast, that it can be shown in the YouTube. It's all to the good for everybody involved, so make it happen. And, you know, I mean, listen, I don't want to drive Oscar's clip out of business. But again, malpractice that the actual Academy Twitter doesn't do any of this shit.
1: No, I 100% agree. It's the the lack of foresight. I mean, we have been... We YouTube has existed for a very long time, and that we are not writing these music rights or or clip rights into all of these different things at this point in 2022 is bizarre and crazy. Um, but anyway, I, I imagine it smacks of, uh, you know, corner cutting and, you know, trying to save a buck here and there. But my God. Anyway. um Almost as disagreeable as, as that <laughs> whole situation is how I'm going to transfer us into talking about Margot at the Wedding, a film about some really disagreeable people, and I think that it did play into quite a bit into the Oscarless narrative of this movie. Kyle, you suggest you uh, requested this movie, uh, particularly, and I would love to know what drew you to this particular film.
0: I would love to know, too. I saw it immediately in your list of unpicked movies, and I'm like, that's the one. There's just something about this movie. I'm not a sociopath. In fact, I'm a really nice guy. Um, the people in this movie are not. Um, no, no, Nicole is so brutal in it. Um, but I don't know. It really clicks for me. Multiple guys that I have dated or romanced love Margot at the Wedding. I don't know what that says about my (laughs) type or the type of guy who has me as a type but it's true it's a thing one of them even did a full-blown zoom lip sync to nicole kidman in the book reading scene which was incredible wow Um, and when i when i when i first got to know one of your recent guests the lovely patrick vale this is maybe the very first movie that we bonded over
1: fantastic it does feel like there is a particular appeal to If not all gay men, then like a certain quality of gay men where it's just like, oh, beautiful actresses behaving absolutely horridly, like just being the The Venn diagram
2: of people I know that like this movie are gay men. It's a circle.
1: (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Well, It's 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 a funny thing because obviously Noah Baumbach, the director, makes movies about, you know... People who are uh, <laughs> disagreeable uh, right. at best and flat out mean to each other at worst. Um, but I feel like when they're men, it's more tolerable. I mean, Greenberg with Ben Stiller came out not Ooh. long after this yes. and got far better reviews, and he's worse. Yes, <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, even, um, even the yeah, squid I mean, the I mean, l- not not to sugarcoat it though, because uh, Nicole Kidman as Margot is just brutal. <laughs> yes. Even The
1: Squid and the Whale, which was the back movie that preceded it, and which was a big part of the reason why I would say Margot at the Wedding had the Oscar buzz that it had, aside from the fact that Kidman was in it and she was you know, always going to bring some degree of buzz. But it did feel like Noah back had gotten his foot in the door with the Oscars and maybe this would be a further step. And The Squid and the Whale, for as much as it was well-received... That is not a film about likable people either. And even, you know, your sort of your teen character and your kid character, there is nothing nothing, uh, particularly cuddly about any of them. And they exist on a kind of spectrum from more tolerable to intolerable. And... I that- mean, Margo Margot at the wedding's
2: almost a doubling down on the yes. ple-
1: unpleasantness of Squid and the Whale, yes. the,
2: like, caustic things said between parents and children, the sexual uncomfortableness, the, like... Yes. People saying things that, like, you
0: think they would be too sophisticated to say that are outright offensive. It is a doubling down, but in the sense, to me, that it's funnier. I agree. I just think this is a funnier, sharper movie than almost everything else he's made. I fully acknowledge that I am sometimes out of step with Noah Baumbach in that, I mean, I liked Squid and the Whale. I didn't love it like everybody else did. Francis Ha, I don't think is a good movie, and everybody... (gasps) Cream uh-huh. their pants over it, Kyle. I wish funny you thing-
1: had told me this before I let you come on my podcast. Just- well, but listen,
0: <laughs> I am on the record as loving Francis Ha. However, uh, it's all false. I got quoted in an FYC ad at the time. Get out of here. Where I, it's a huge like five hundred point font. Where I, <laughs> it, it's an attributed to me quote that says Gerwig is so winning and optimistic, she makes struggling seem way more fun than having your life together literally never said it never wrote it you can google that quote it only comes up on the ad it was that's i still have not ever gotten to the bottom of how that ad happened with my name on it when i don't even like that movie wait
1: so full fabrication you never said that in any context wow some awards strategist was just
0: like he'll never see it (laughs)
1: that's (laughs) wild how often does that happen everyone sent
0: it to me what? How often
1: does that kind of thing happen? In well, in I hope this?
0: not more often than that. That's yeah. the only time I know of it happening.
1: Sheepers. that's wild. Um, wow. I'm I'm now I, I I gotta I gotta collect myself. That is brazen. But I I, will I would say. have For
0: happily z- said such things about Margot at the wedding, and we'll <laughs> sure. Doing, and anyone can quote me from this episode.
1: Uh, and we will because we were going to re-release this movie next year and we're okay. going to try and get it the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the two that it has We'll coming. see how
2: people respond. The interesting thing is like Margot at the Wedding has not, this, I, I fully expected this to be available on streaming because this has always been like readily available on Netflix and such, which is partly why I think, you know, there are, you know, a coven of gay men that do really like this movie because they've seen it. I I just feel like it's surprising nobody brings this up negatively when, like, Marriage Story is out there. And I, who knows? We'll have another Noah Baumbach movie this year. But um, I kind of similarly feel out of step with Noah Baumbach to the degree that things are either disliked or liked. Like, we've done an episode on the Meyerowitz stories, which is probably my favorite Noah Baumbach movie. But, like, nobody talks about that movie. Good, and they um, shouldn't. Oh, <laughs> we did Um, and um, yeah this is one of my favorite Noah Baumbach movies which makes me sound like um, some type of
1: murderer but I imagine I'm probably somewhat predictably the outlier in this in that I greatly respect this movie and think everybody is doing a great job in it and it is incredibly sharply and and Humorously written. I don't enjoy the experience of watching it. I can I I love can, the experience of watching. See, it. See, and I think that's got to be the key. <laughs> I yeah. don't
0: know. I mean, maybe that makes you a better person than us, Joe. Like, it doesn't you, it you sure know the power of the dog when there's the scene where Cody Smith McPhee dissects the rabbit, and you're like, oh, he's socio sociopath, yeah. like full blown. Maybe that's me loving Margo at the <laughs> wedding. I don't know. <laughs> it could be a tell. <laughs>
1: Uh But again, like this is the second time watching it. And I, I the first time I watched it, I felt the exact same way. And now going back into it, oh, so many years later, I was like, I'll probably feel different. It's a lifetime like it's been literally 15 years of me living in New York City since I've seen that I saw that movie the year I moved to New York. And I'm like, and I literally have the thought of like, 15 years in New York City, like being immersed in, you know, mean gay culture. I'm just like, I'm sure I would love this movie now. And I had the exact same feeling of watching again, which is just like, I really appreciate what everybody's doing here. Everybody's great. I hate watching you people. I don't like the actual experience of being immersed. It, I, I felt I was in a bad mood when I was done with this movie. Not feeling like it was, again, it's not a bad movie. It just soured my mood for the rest of the day yesterday. And... I guess credit to them because I do feel like it is kind of what they're going for.
0: I am joyful after watching this movie. I want to walk into the sun like I just uh, divorced <laughs> Tom Cruise and open my arms wide and just take the world in.
2: I don't want to jump to like the ending of well, the movie. Well, should I give the plot description? We, definitely uh, we could do that. Get we are that. famous for like this is <laughs> uh, of doing our 60 second plot description late, but like the movie ends with I think a certain type of depth and bravery that I wish Noah Bombach still had that he doesn't because I think in like the cinematic language of what's happening you're meant to feel something because of that's the way movies are but actually what he's trying to make you feel is the opposite thing through that Um,
1: yeah I think that's right we can talk about it but yeah, Kyle, uh, thank you for uh, for getting us back on task. You are truly the professional among the three of us, so uh, we appreciate that. 60-second um, plot description. What, once I lay out the fundamentals and the boilerplate of this movie, we are talking about, this week, Margot at the Wedding, directed and written by Noah Baumbach, starring Nicole Kidman, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Jack Black, Karen Hines, Zane Pace, Flora Cross, Haley Pfeiffer, and John Turturro, for a minute there, premiered at the Telluride Film Festival on August 31st, 2007. It was granted a limited release on November 16th, 2007, and uh, to the very, very mixed to negative reviews. The rare movie that is lower on Rotten Tomatoes than it is on Metacritic, which... I feel like when those things diverge a little bit, it's usually the other way around, but we'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, before we do, Kyle, I've got 60 seconds on the clock for you. Ready when you are.
0: All right, I'm ready.
1: All right, and begin.
0: Nicole Kidman is an uptight writer named Margot who lives to make scathing assessments of everyone in her life, including her young son, Claude, and her semi estranged sister, Pauline, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. So you can imagine what a field day Margot's about to have since she's going home to Long Island for her sister's wedding to Malcolm, a jobless, insecure musician played by Jack Black. Margot says incredibly mean and shocking things to everybody under the guise of telling them the truth and absolutely cannot take the heat when anyone is even slightly critical of her. So the wedding weekend is a recipe for well-shot disaster as she clashes, clashes with her sister, undermines Jack Black carries on a furtive affair with Kieran Hines, and wears a pink version of the bear's hat from Paddington. (laughs) All that, and she also climbs a very big tree.
1: With time to spare, Kyla Buchanan, very good. That is Margot at the wedding. Uh, Very succinct, yes. Um, You bring up what is one of my favorite aspects of the characterizations in this movie, is that exactly right, that she dishes it out in every direction and can't even begin to take it. And I think both she and Jennifer Jason Lee, and to an extent Jack Black too, although Jack Black is more often collateral damage than anything else in this movie. But the way that the two sisters will turn on a dime from saying something absolutely vicious to them playing the victim to then throwing in a compliment, almost like to throw the person they're talking to off of the scent and, and the way that like these conversations just have these absolute hairpin turns of mood and intention and nastiness and victimhood, it's, it's really well done. And it communicates, you get the sense that like, oh God, you've been this way your whole lives. Like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine just the carnage of living this way and having this relationship in your life all the time.
2: Including with a whole other sibling who we
1: never see. Yes, who like could have made it even worse. Who would you have cast as this unseen third sibling?
0: Ooh, ooh, Tony Collette for sure. Oh man! Ah,
1: yes. The, I. That's the thing that kind of it it clues you into what this movie is going to be fairly early, which is, and you've already gotten like, senses of it when they're in the car ride over there, and... But it's when they're in the house and they're talking about the sister, and I can't remember which one is, like, she got the worst of it, raped by the horse trainer, and then they immediately just, like, the happiest they've ever been, giggling. giggling. (laughs) It's not even laughing, it's giggling. There's no mordant laughter. Like, it's not dark, it's not haunted. They are giggling. And I was like, oh, this is the tone, this is what we're doing. (laughs) Like... It really is bracing in that way.
0: I'll, let me give the the listeners who maybe haven't seen this movie just a hint by zeroing in on one specific cut um, of what this movie is like. And I'll give you the line that happens before the cut and mm-hmm. then the next scene, the first line of that scene. Uh, the, the first part, the front half, is they've just been playing a game and Margot is obviously very competitive And starts exoriating her poor son, who is so sweet. Um, And then, when called out on it, she says, This is why I hate games. I hate what it does to me. Which is a great line. I think about it all the time. If I ever get too competitive. This is... a. This is, first of all, Margot... I mean, it's full of these sort of great, well-observed lines. But this is also, again, Margot completely absolving herself of anything bad that she ever says or does. If she ever gets called out on it or people say, you've gone too far, she starts to judge them for making her feel bad. She doesn't give a shit if she makes anyone else feel bad. But she's like, how dare you? Why would you make me feel uncomfortable? You know that X and Y and Z. Um, So it's great that like it shows... A glimmer of self-awareness, but in the very warped way that Margot has it. And then she goes straight from that to smash cut to the next scene. They're all having lunch. Nicole as Margot looks at uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, Pauline, and Jack Black, Malcolm, and says, Malcolm, have you ever noticed how Pauline sometimes can't make eye contact? Like, (laughs) so mean. Why would you do that? Why would you undermine... Everyone else and and why have you learned nothing? you know and uh, that's the movie, and sometimes yeah. you can take that because I find it kind of hilarious, especially because the lines are so sharp, how little self-awareness these people have, um, and how you know the poor innocents among them just have to navigate that. Um, but also I just think that is an incredible edit. and the whole film is really provocatively like edited with a lot of spikes. A lot of yeah. unexpected cuts, and I, I, that one to me is my favorite.
1: The scene when Torturo finally shows up, and they're as, in the her, car. As, hus-
0: her, uh, her husband. Her right? husband. Like, I, I, you want to say a strange husband, but uh, she's the, meanwhile having an affair with the perfectly named Dick Kuzman, who Karen Hines <laughs> <Heinz's> is playing. <laughs> Just a great name. That's but where they, they showing up in the shortest shorts you
2: have ever seen <laughs> Karen <Kieran laughs> Hines ever be in?
1: It's true. Um but they they the woman alongside the road who her dog's been hit and they pick her up and she's you know this you know my poor dog we've got to get to a hospital blah, blah. and all of it and all the while Kidman's in the front seat Margo's there going not even that quietly being like I can't stand this woman and then <laughs> And then, after they drop her off, being like, I wouldn't have stopped for her. And he's like, Yes, you would have. And she's like, No, I wouldn't have. And you're probably judging me for that. And I hate myself when I'm around you. You make me feel terrible about myself. And she just sort of like walks around this entire amusement park of her own psychosis, like all by herself. And then ends up at the end, uh, sort of like falling into his shoulder or whatever. And then being like, I want you to go.
0: <laughs> and- I mean, come on. That's incredible. I, I've I've often wondered this, and I especially wonder it when I watch Margot at the Wedding. If Noah Bomback has, like, a notes app note where he just yes. writes down every evil thing he ever thinks. Yes. And then eventually puts it in a movie. Um, And I, how can you not think that when you're watching Margot at the Wedding, where it's just, like, breathtaking? I mean, funny, but breathtaking how... Yeah. mean <laughs> she yeah. is and how crazed her line of thinking is
2: yeah this goes to some of the misconceptions i think people have about this movie too and it's like it's to bombach's credit i think that he like is honest about this in that like he was interviewed at the time thinking that, like, it was autobiographical, which is, like, when Margot is uh, questioned about that, it brings a whole other layer to it, of if it's autobiographical, like, he is the young son, because people just presume that, you know, the male lead character is a stand-in for the male writer-director. And he actually says, no, I'm Margot in this. And just the kind... uh, There is an element of not even empathy, but understanding towards Margot in this way that I think is like very informative of him as an artist. And, of course, the whole bookshop scene um, is interesting for that. Um,
1: He is sort of the rare male uh, writer-director. Maybe not rare, but certainly he gets it the hardest, where almost everything he does... Is read through the lens of autobiography because a lot of it is like he talked like, you know, Squid and the Whale is obviously, you know, is read as a story about his parents' divorce. Marriage story is read as a story about his divorce. And... Um, I imagine Greenberg is the story about how he's a pill. Like, I don't know exactly
0: <laughs> what that is. Well, and I think Margot at the Wedding is to some extent. I mean, yeah. Like, oh, know, the Margot the, the Wedding is. Yeah. Are, if he's. Yeah. Are not drawn from his life. But, you know, I just talked to somebody who worked on White Noise with Bomback, and I was like, how did it, how was it? And the guy just sort of like took a moment and he's like, He's not a nice person.
1: Yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I love most of his stuff, actually, but it does not surprise me uh, one bit.
0: But, you know, I mean, when it comes to the protagonist being a nice person, I think that's where you come to an interesting divide. Certainly one that is reflected in how the critics reacted. And I don't expect everybody to go on the same journey as me. But right. I don't need the protagonist of a movie to be likable. Right. I just need them to be fascinating. Yeah, uh, and to me, Margot absolutely fits the bill. It is fascinating to watch how she will spin every situation to be the aggrieved party, or how she cannot help herself from saying the wrong thing, or takes such pride in psychoanalyzing everybody.
1: Yeah. Well, it all it 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 fits. It tells a coherent cohesive story and it is and i mean again me not enjoying the process of watching this movie does not mean that i i can separate that and i should be able to separate that enough to recognize what is so incredibly good and skillful about this movie and and yet I see like a lot of the reviews where somebody's just like why would anybody want to do this? Why would anybody want to spend their time like this? And I'm like fair, like I think you're wrong. I think there is great value in in the filmmaking here and in the performances here. But like also fair, like <laughs> granted. Okay. Um and I think Kidman actually is really phenomenal and this movie comes in a really interesting stretch for her. So it's she wins the Oscar essentially in her second post-divorce year where if we if we all sort of like popularly recognize the fact that like 2001 her very first oscar nomination moulin rouge and the others at the same time that's sort of recognized as like nicole is emerging from the tom cruise you know emotional prison or whatever that she had been in now she's on her own she's getting respect she gets the oscar for the hours a um Kyle, if you don't agree with me, then just say nothing. Perfect movie. And, <laughs> um, and, but her run after the Hours and after the Oscar is really interesting to me because it's a lot of, it's sort of this Kidman thing where she's working with a lot of auteurs and also like interstitialing that with these kind of commercial plays. And there's as many victories as there are failures, if not maybe even a little more failures in this particular stretch where it's, The Human Stain, which we've done on this podcast, Cold Mountain, big Oscar contender that ultimately disappoints, Dogville, specifically for her, right, specifically for her, Um, Dogville, uh, Lars von Trier, psychological torture for actresses, but also fantastic. Um, Stepford Wives, a flop, Birth, we just recently talked about it on this podcast. Now that's a perfect
0: movie
1: Uh, to me. Yes, uh, I again. Well, whatever. We don't have to get into it. Um, Birth is <laughs> great. The Interpreter, the one sort of like maybe most anonymous of all of these movies, in that it just kind of passed without a whole ton of attention. I feel like for a Sidney Pollock movie, just sort of was just like okay. Is um, it the
2: last Sidney Pollock movie? Maybe. Maybe. Anyway.
1: Uh, Bewitched, another flop. Fur a movie we totally could do on this podcast and probably will at some point. Happy feet. It feels like it's, you know, in its own sort of universe. I feel like nobody really talks about her in relation to happy feet. I don't know how big her character actually is in that movie. Cause I've not seen it. Um, the invasion, a movie that is only more notable than the interpreter, because sometimes people talk about how it was a failure The Golden Compass, which was a huge, like, you know, would be franchise that that fell on its face and never happened. And then this, Margot at the Wedding. So, what to make of this? What to make of this era of Nicole Kidman, I guess? And I'm throwing it up to both of you.
0: I mean, let's be real. This was considered to be Nicole's flop era. Right. Like yeah. these movies were not performing. All the big things that she were do was doing were not performing either. You know, but which did not click. Invasion, Golden Compass, those did not click, and no one was watching the other movies. I mean, I think Birth is incredible, but it did not. Right. You know, Nobody it, saw it flopped and was the source of a lot of bad press. Yeah, uh, well, and
2: if not for her Golden Globe nomination, that was, like, uh,
0: this was definitely
2: true of Fur, but, like, her more, like, auteuristic films that she was doing at the time come and go incredibly quickly.
0: Yeah, I do, I do not know if anyone has seen Fur besides me. Um, I that still haven't, is,
1: so it, it's maybe true, yes.
0: It is a really crazy movie where, I mean, that was also in Robert Downey Jr.'s fallow area, but the fallow era, like, the fact that he is... Yes, covered in fur, and that it is somehow a biopic of Deanne Arbus, even right. though it's kind of about a Shape of Water romancing Bigfoot narrative. <laughs> it's completely crazy. You're making your um, sale, Kyle. You're absolutely making your sale. I know, I must be. Actually, yeah. how much money did Margot at the Wedding make? Two million dollars. Just shy of two million. Yeah. I mean, now that would be... Uh, right, relative. Right, indie, massive indie success. That's as yes. much as Worst Person in the World made. Uh, <laughs> and Worst Person in the World would be a good title for Margot at the Wedding. Yes! <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this was this was truly her in the weeds era. And I think, you know, I understand why she's making a lot of these choices, and I think a lot of them were the right ones. Obviously, I love Margot at the Wedding. I love Birth. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't clicking. She was written off as as yeah, uh, uh, sort of a flop for quite a while there.
1: One thing that I find somewhat fascinating is if she had made In the Cut, which A, would have been another movie where her sister Jennifer Jason Lee is named Pauline, um, and also it would have fit in perfect with this era. Like, it would have absolutely just slid in seamlessly with everything else she was doing in this era, which is, this that would have been one of the Autour movies that flopped and people kind of hated. And then now, you know, the same way that people are like, Birth is great. And, you know, and uh, Kyle, biggest fan of fur uh, ever. And
0: um, <laughs> well, o- o- only person who's seen it. So by default. <laughs>
1: So, I don't know. And I, I mean, like, I super ride for Dogville, even though Dogville's another movie. I don't know what the difference is for me with Dogville and Margot, that, like, Dogville's an unpleasant movie that I've watched probably three or four times. So, uh, well, Dogville's I don't know a what movie to say that allows you there. to
2: have a distance to it because sure. of what it is the whole, like, Thornton Wilder ness of it. This sure, movie, sure. like,. And, like, it's interesting, Kyle, that you point out the editing of this movie, because, like, it does really kind of keep you on your toes, too, the kind of, like, constant, like, back and forth. It's only a 90-minute movie, but, like, even so, none of its scenes are very long, to the point where, like, the set piece of the movie is probably Jennifer Jason Leigh shitting her pants, and it's a 30-second scene, um... Whereas, like, Dogville, you you just really have to, like, sit in it. It's a three-hour movie, you know. Yeah.
0: And I think the you Jennifer- can make a connection from this editing to Mistress America, where the entire first half of the movie is in it's truly micro scenes, might as yes. well yes. be a montage until they get to that one house and it yeah. the movie settles down. I think, you know, he went in a somewhat more experimental editing direction here that he occasionally comes back to.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The Jennifer Jason Lee uh, shitting her pants scene, watching it again and again, I've seen this movie before, watching it I was just like, oh, is she having a miscarriage? And I think like the difference between a movie that would have gone for that would have sort of gone for the Chekhov's gun of her pregnancy in the beginning of the movie to a more sort of like tragic place by the end. And it's like, no, he's just going to go for maximum embarrassment. And like, you know, uh, he's just going to put her through the ringer in that particular way Uh, feels indicative of this movie
2: sometimes Margot can say something that's not cutting and still very funny because she has the scene with it happens to everyone not just babies not just
0: babies <laughs> it's a great line <laughs> do you think Margot is kind of the diabetic of this movie where like 100 everything she's saying is kind of right but she's not saying it the right way
1: What's that March Simpson gif of just like, well, he's right, but he shouldn't say it like
2: that. <laughs> Jack Black is Jasmine Kennedy.
1: <laughs> okay, how do we feel about Jack Black in this movie? That Jack Black? Love that, him, love him. I think he's uh, really good. Sexiest
0: yeah. I've ever found him, so appealing, so dialed into the character. Love him. I didn't in this. remember
1: that you could see his penis in this movie, but you can. If you're looking for it, yes. I remember yes, the can. butt. Definitely remember the Cute little bum bum. He's quite good in this movie. And and being asked to do, obviously, a thing that is a good distance away from, like, the Jack Black thing. And it reminds me that, like, he's done roles like this before, but he's never done the full-on, like... Jack Black is like you've never seen him before. You know, kind of a movie that, like, Will Ferrell has done that, and Jim Carrey has done that, and Ben Stiller definitely sort of, like, started doing that and kind of never stopped at one point. And, and unless I'm forgetting something, like, I don't, I can't think of, like, the Jack Black movie where it's like he's, you know, he's taken it seriously. He's being very, you know, uh, indie sad. And in this one there are flashes of that kind of classic Jack Black thing, the line where um, I've punched somebody. You, you don't know, they're not around anymore because I punched him, like that line or whatever, that I believe is in the trailer. And so you get like those flashes. And of course, obviously like Jack Black running is one of those things that is kind of always funny. And um, you get the scene Sobbing of him running away. Right, exactly. But um, he's asked to do quite a lot more in this than he normally is asked to do. And I think he does very much succeed.
0: I think his best scene of sort of marrying that indie actor vibe to his genuine comic gifts is later in the movie, there's a scene where uh, Jennifer Jason Lee confronts him about whether he's had an affair. I mean, Margot yes. has basically been undermining their whole relationship the whole time. So right. there's all these seeds of doubt. And he very effectively parries all of her all of her interrogations to the point where like she's been calmed down and she's been assured and then just as that happens he starts to cry yes. <laughs> because he's lying to her and yep. then finally confesses and it's a great little little scene arc and he plays it so marvelously and it's so funny
1: the scene where um where Jennifer Jason Lee is it the one that comes right after that, where she's walking down the stairs behind um the girl, and she, like, lifts her foot up oh, as if she's going to kick her down the stairs, and then freezes <laughs> with her foot in the air? Like, she's in a Warner Brothers cartoon is so incredibly <laughs> funny to me, where she's just, like, caught, and just her foot's in the air, and she can't explain it, and she doesn't. That's right, because then the girl goes outside and tells her dad that uh she, she can tell the jig is up, and then uh, he runs after Jack Black. Um... She was in squid and the whale right she was yes. uh uh the sort of quasi girlfriend figure for Jesse Eisenberg if I'm not mistaken correct yeah yeah um an interesting movie for the kind of child characters they're all like there is not a typical child character type in this they're all in one way or another. nobody's cutesy, even poor Claude, you feel terribly bad for Claude, but it's also. You know, there's an arm's lengthness to that character, too. You're not really in it with him as much.
0: But he is so good. That kid is so good. Zane Pace. I was rewatching it and being like, wow, he's so good. What has he gone on to do? Because he's so natural and dialed in, even at a young age. And I learned two things. One is that I learned he's the son of character actor Josh Pace. Once you who, learn that,
1: you can't not see Yeah, and
0: if face. you don't know him, <laughs> Google him, because you've seen him in everything, and he always brings Including an incredibly no specific properties. vibe. Yeah. Um, and two is that now he is all grown up and hot and was naked in a gay episode of Modern Love, directed what? by Andrew Reynolds. What? Wow. There you this
1: you this news Kyle, you're bringing the news <laughs> to the children. I love it. Look,
0: I did my research.
1: Fantastic, God. Yeah. Thank God for you. Um Yeah, really really good performance in that he looks absolutely exactly like his dad once you see it. Um the Josh Pace movie the role that I always come back to and I don't know if I'm the only one but he was in that movie Teeth Um, that
2: was what i was gonna say really
1: okay Too. where yeah where he gets his hand bit off doctor
2: he's the first doctor and he
1: goes it's true vagina dentata it's so (laughs) my favorite part of that movie that i only like liked about half as much as i kind of wanted to but uh, my
0: friend hale is in that he gets his dick bitten off
1: nice very good nice work if you can get it um yeah definitely that is the Josh Pace role that I go back to. He's also in uh he's in Adventureland. he's Kristen Stewart's dad in Adventureland. he's in a bajillion things. um and then um uh the daughter, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's daughter, who was also just like just written as a very peculiar creature, <laughs> just like an odd bird of a girl, this girl. um very interesting, very uh sort of atypical child stuff. Should we talk about Jennifer Jason Lee? Incredible.
0: Love her. So good. Always she's the
1: one who it. sort of came closest to getting precursor attention. She got an Independent Spirit Award nomination. She was sort of finalist on some of those Critics Awards that announce nominees before they announce their winners. So she was like a Chicago Critics Finalist and a Dallas Critics Finalist. She was on the, I believe, the um, Village Voice film poll on their, you know, somewhere in their, in their lists. And she's... You could see a world in which she gets a, a campaign for supporting actress. She is, of the two sisters, the com like comparably less toxic one, which is a very low bar to clear. Do you think she
0: <laughs> is toxic? I don't think she's toxic. I think she's sympathetic. I think their
1: relationship
0: think is
2: toxic. But it's the thing of when the nicer sibling is around their horrible sibling, they become their horrible sibling.
0: Well, in the sense that she absolutely, I mean, you, half the time she's trying to sort of wriggle out from Margot's, uh, from under her thumb, and call her out on her bullshit, and half the time, in a very realistic way, she's still trying to win Margot's impossible approval.
1: Yeah. Exactly. But they also both engage in that thing where, like, like, she'll pull Claude to the side and be like... Margot said this thing, and yada, yada, yada,
0: and like well, they'll go, and she should th- because Margot's out there telling everybody else's secret, of course, no, that,
1: exactly, but again, Think it is this like play. it is a very sort of toxic sibling relationship, and like again, my kingdom for the side quest movie that is the other sister and God their mother, i can't even I can't even imagine uh. uh what I love that like.
2: when you have the opportunity to see the mother in the movie, the movie is just runs. like, nope, Margo's yep. running away.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, yeah, and Jennifer Jason Leigh, of course, uh, married to Noah Baumbach at this time. They married in 2005. They divorced, I imagine, right after Greenberg, where he cheated on her with a credit card wig. Um, and uh, that, of course, is widely assumed to be V basis or a basis in for marriage story is sort of the dissolution of that marriage yeah she's quite good in this at this point she hadn't been oscar nominated it still rankles me that her eventual oscar nomination is for the hateful eight a movie that i did not care for there could have been you know she yeah, could no have had a way. half dozen nominations before then that never uh, happened well she had close calls in the 90s yeah especially Specifically,
2: the early 90s. mrs parker yeah. and the vicious circle Right,
1: Mrs. Parker, Georgia. the vicious circle, Miami Blues. I feel like she got a lot of uh, precursor attention, and um, Georgia, Georgia, right? Yeah, Georgia was one of those situations. I remember a couple of times in the mid '90s where. One actress got a lot of Oscar buzz and then at the last second it ended up being the other actress. I'm thinking also of Marvin's Room where uh, Meryl got the Golden Globe nomination and she was being heavily campaigned. And then on Oscar nomination day, it's like, nope, Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton is our nominee. And Georgia felt similar to that and that like best actress in 95 was so crowded and Jennifer Jason Leigh's character, God, speaking of sisters where one woman is <laughs> really toxic, uh, she definitely was like, the bad sister and Mayor Winningham was the good sister and surprise, surprise Oscar voters went for the good sister. Um, Yeah. Surprising that she went through that whole stretch without getting a single nomination. It's a bummer. Like she's one of the best actresses of the nineties. Like I can pretty much feel safe in saying that.
0: She's great and and perpetually underrated for as long as she's been working, and I yeah. feel like maybe that's part of the reason that I love her in this film, because I feel like this film is perpetually underrated. It's not going to be to everyone's taste. Right. She isn't either.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to even, now I want to bring up her IMDb and sort of think about her more recent stuff. Oh, God, she was in that sorry, terrible, uh, Apple TV plus series Lisey story that had her and Julianne Moore and Joan Allen be sisters. And it was still bad. Like how she do you was manage the one that? that?
2: I was like, no one is saying Jennifer Jason Lee is in this show. Like I learned at, like a year after that show aired, I learned that she was in it.
1: She doesn't get much of a role. Like at least, I mean, I bailed on that show pretty early. So maybe at some point, like, but it's just, oh. plus
2: we forget the woman in the window
1: right oh, the woman yeah. in the window where she's like just human well, actually i sight liked gag. Her in that <laughs> i did too i liked a lot of small parts of the woman in the window is the thing like same that movie doesn't hold together obviously and but like i liked more of that movie probably than i should have um she's rad as hell in possessor she in, in possessor and annihilation she plays sort of similar roles in that she's sort of the uh the the doctor sort of like representing the sort of like uh techno science establishment or whatever in this crazy sci-fi story annihilation of course she gives the uh, finest line reading recitation of a film's title um yes in our current era
0: slays it so
1: good in that um uh i did you either one of you two watch the new twin peaks and can speak to her role in that
0: Uh, yes i love the new twin peaks uh she's kind of played as comic relief um i think it's her and tim roth and they're basically like kind of low-level criminals who aren't very good at what they're doing and after seeming to be building up to something significant they get dispatched in a way that's so abrupt that it's kind of funny um (laughs) uh, i liked seeing her in that she's not necessarily the standout in that cast though sure 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 And then,
1: of course, as we all are acutely aware of, she played Lady Bird Johnson in Rob Reiner's LBJ, opposite uh, uh, Woody Harrelson as Lyndon Johnson. The Phantom LBJ. The film that we've all seen when it played at Toronto. Obviously, the both of you were there at the same screening that I was. We all saw it. We all were definitely there. Um, (laughs) It is a movie that definitely happened. LBJ. Rob Reiner's LBJ. Um. Yeah, she's always been sort of one of my favorite actresses. Always, she was one of those ones when I was the early '90s and I was just sort of starting to fancy myself a a lover of film. The fact that I was kind of plugged into a lot of her stuff, the fact that I like watched Georgia when I was a teenager made me feel very, very, uh, you know, advanced. I watched Mrs. Parker in the Vicious Circle, a movie that could not have been less interesting to a seventeen-year-old, and yet I was just like, yes, yes, this is so good, and like. <laughs> No, I don't know. I don't remember a thing about that. And yet, uh, but she was sort of like, she was the, the, the thinking, uh, pretentious, pret- pretentious kid's choice for, uh, for, for a great actress. And I mean, that is no slight on her whatsoever. I just recently she- watched, in the few, a few months ago, Single White Female for the first time in forever. Uh, what a fun, entertaining piece of junk movie that was. <laughs> it's so much fun. Highly recommend it to anybody who wants to. There is so... She's, like, she's naked in a lot of that movie. Like, there's so much, like, sex and nudity in that movie. Way more than you would get nowadays. Even in a, like, uh, you know, sort of, like... Because this isn't specifically, it's not an erotic thriller. It is a roommate from hell story, right? Like, it's like, even the non-erotic thriller... But there's an erotic façade
0: to the vibe that they've
1: got. 100%. 100%. And So why not
0: just smear that around the whole movie, as they did in the 90s?
1: And they absolutely did. Like, so much of the plot of that movie hinges on Bridget Fonda following her to this underground sex club that in a movie made today would have just been something else. It just would have been, like, because, A, because people are probably a little bit more wary of turning um, sort of sexual peccadillos into something villainous, and, but also just the fact that, like, movies are less sexually charged these days, so. Um, oh, rad movie. Highly recommended. Not so
2: much for uh, Sharpstick, which she is in.
0: Oh, Sharpstick. Uh, listen, Sharpstick does not work, but she's really funny in it. The the newly she's giving a very Jennifer that Jason that Lee Oh, I was In, gonna say The this the the, the, the only two yes. times I actually like laughed out loud were Jennifer Jason Lee line readings. Yeah, uh, a movie I absolutely I'll, I'll, saw. I'll say one of them, the which is that she's yes. you know this kind of uh, faded actress who had a lot of affairs and now she's got two kids. Yeah, uh, Christine Froseth, who's playing the the main character, and I don't even have the room to go into that character. No, and also no, Taylor no. Page from Zola. <laughs> And um, she now sort of exists on, uh, I I would assume, sort of like alimony uh, checks from the more successful men that she's been entangled with. And she runs kind of a low-level apartment building she manages in Atwater Village, where I live. Um, And at one point, she kind of sends the main character daughter... To go check on um, someone who hasn't paid rent in a little while, and the you know the main character daughter is making excuses for why that might be so, and Jennifer Jason Leigh isn't buying any of it, and sends her to go, and then her eyes kind of light up. Jennifer Jason Leigh's do, and she says in this sing songy voice eviction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed. (laughs) Oh, very good. Um, yeah, not a movie I loved, but like, you're not wrong about, uh, about that particular line reading, especially. Um, I want to pivot just to the the Best Actress race that year, where I think all three of us kind of would agree that Kidman's performance is certainly worthy of an Oscar nomination. You look at the nominees that year. So Marion Cotillard wins. uh, There are indeed some angels in the city uh, for Le'Veon Rose. Uh, Julie Christie came close, probably second place for Away From Her. Laura Linney, the surprise nominee for uh, The Savages. I think that was the one that nobody really saw coming. Um, Great performance. Kate Blanchett for Elizabeth, The Golden Age. Elliot Page for Juno. If Kidman's going to crack that lineup, who drops out?
0: Kate, for me. Yeah.
1: I think I agree. Sorry, Kate.
2: I mean, she also had I'm Not There that year.
1: Right. It's very, yes, it would be very easy to drop her. Just again, find a way to put the clip of her saying I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bear if you dare test me like just put it somewhere
2: I too can command the wind sir I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bear if you dare to try me
1: like just put that clip there. You don't need a nominator. Just like open the Oscars with it. Like have John Stewart just introduce the clip. I don't care. Like that's fine, that works. I'll be
2: a little feisty and say Marion would be the one that I would. Try I don't to. love Marion either. There are not some
0: <laughs> angels in your city.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's a bad movie.
1: It's a terrible movie. I think. Yeah, I agree with you. No thank you, life. No thank you, love. No thank you, Marion. She's been. Bocciard, she's Bocanus. been
2: great otherwise.
0: If yeah. if if Maria Cotillard did not win that Oscar, a major major ripple effect would happen. I leave it to you, Joe, because I know you love these sort of I know. Uh, yeah. scenarios. But like that Oscar win really made her a star, not yes. the movie, the Oscar win. And yes. I don't know what would have happened. Uh, to her and to Hollywood, if probably. if it had to happened. But I
1: think Kyle's right, though, in that like she doesn't get cast. She wouldn't get the roles, roles that the you movies. know her from now. Right, that's if the she thing. She had not right. won that Oscar. That's the thing. Um, even down to like the Darden movie, like she's maybe not even cast in that. You know what I mean? She's maybe not even in you know even. Well, those they movies.
2: do typically go with non-stars, so. That, right. That's probably true. I almost said she would probably be the one that's nominated for nine, but if she's not an Oscar she winner, be she might not be a nine. She would not be, be a nine. In nine. Yep, yep. They wouldn't,
0: exactly. I mean, most of Hollywood wouldn't even know she spoke English and looked pretty. You know, that's not what she got nominated or won for. She needed that acceptance speech where she's so lovely and so winning. That was her biggest credit at the time. Not literally, not the movie that she won for.
1: She would just be a nine eleven truther that nobody's ever heard of before. <laughs> um, uh, probably in some, you know, among many who uh, who are in that boat. Yeah. Um, what if that yeah. meant that
0: Ava Green got all of her roles?
1: <laughs> I mean, that's oh, wow. not implausible. Those
2: Mary are. Marion the... Cotillard would have started Penny Dreadful.
0: <laughs> well, and <laughs> I think that's fine.
1: I think that works. Um that's an interesting trade-off. You guys are maybe like making my pitch for my next uh, uh vulture article for me.
0: So thank there you. There you go, please see that through. <laughs> um fantastic. Ideas
1: there. Thank you, boys. Thank you. Um uh oh, so okay, so can't talk about Nicole Kidman in this movie without talking about what so many of the reviews for this movie. The reviews for this movie were uh More negative than positive. A lot of it was about the unlikability of the characters. But it was also often (laughs) focused on Nicole Kidman's face. And in particular, this was the movie that became the flashpoint for Nicole Kidman has had too much, whether it's plastic surgery or Botox. At the time, she had been quoted in a couple of places, I think, saying, like, I would never get plastic surgery. And I think that's one of those sort of Hollywood doublespeak things where they're like, I don't think Botox is plastic surgery. You know what I mean? Like, I am going mm-hmm. to say this thing and I'm going to believe that it is true and because in my head, Botox doesn't count. So, um, but like, obviously, she had, there, there had been uh, injectables and, and whatever happening, going on through the years. This was the movie that everybody decided was the flashpoint of it. I think because it's a character drama and so there are sort of less kind of bells and whistles to deal with it. But also, like, these things, like, this was probably a very sort of, like, freshly bee-stung, you know, uh, era for her, you know, lips, let's say, or whatever. But, like, there was so much attention put on it that...
2: It's absurd to pin it on this movie, too, because, like, do you really think this, not to be like, well, she did it for the character, that's not what I'm saying, but, like, this is a character that would make sense that their face would look like that from Botox, so... Why are you pinning it on this movie? I
0: honestly find it so wild to go back and watch this and remember those reviews. And I mean, some of them really went into it. There's a Stephanie Zaharic Salon review that basically makes Kidman's face its whole thesis. Because faces have gotten so much more extreme in the interim that when I went back and rewatched it for this podcast, I was like, oh, it's nice. Her face is like not too bad in this at all. Um, And... But no, it was then shocking enough that multiple critics wrote about it.
1: Well, and she's sort of the... Like, of course, this would be a discussion for an actress of this caliber, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think one of the sort of things that doesn't get commented on as much, especially now that so many movies are seen at home on smaller screens. I know that everybody who, you know, sticks up for the streaming uh, revolution... Likes to imagine that everybody at home has these, like, giant, full, like, wall with televisions or whatever, and not all watching it on just, like, regular small screens. Anyway, um one thing that we don't really think about as much is that, like, movie stars are meant to have their faces just giant on, like, as big of a screen as possible and right in your face. And that is not how we experience most people, right? Like, that is... A that movie stars' faces are this kind of, in a way, a commodity or even just like a, an object of art in and of themselves. Do you know what I mean? And they are meant to be seen. The biggest movie stars are sort of seen with just these, you know, larger than life, literally projections of their faces. And so that terrain becomes. Weirdly uncomfortably fraught when all of a sudden we decide that, like, oh, the state of Nicole Kidman's Botox injections is a thing that we need to discuss, right? We need to like debate or make the topic of reviews and whatnot. Um, and it's just really particular of like that strata of celebrity, that strata of movie star, I will say, not even celebrity. I don't know, it's weird, yeah. I am not saying either way. I am not making a value judgment. <laughs> Nicole can do what she wants. Uh, but um, I do I do remember that being like very uh, very prominent at the moment. To
2: the point I where... I feel like it has to be more distracting in something like The Invasion, which, granted, is not a good movie, and we're talking about a good movie. Right. Um, I don't understand how it's not more distracting in something like that than it is in this.
1: Well, I think there's so much more to look at in The Invasion. Like, literally, like, so much else Probably is going a more on. a
2: dog on, too.
1: Yes, also that. Whereas I think, like, this is a movie where you are just, like, laser-focused on... Even though this movie doesn't really... It doesn't have a ton of, like, lingering close-ups or anything like that. You don't have any sort of scene where, like... Like, there's a lot of scenes that just sort of take place where, like, she's looking away from a character. And, like, they're... I'm thinking of the scene where it's her and Claude sort of out on the back porch or something like that. The one where she's the most mean to him, where she's like, um, Pauline says, she's so disappointed in you. You never help out. You never pitch in. And also you're, uh, what does she say? Like you've become, uh, Oh, what does she say? She says something about his like demeanor or whatever that like, um, shit, I'm not going to remember these. But just like incredibly like mean and cutting way of saying something about this kid and the way it's filmed like you don't really see her face saying these things she's they're both sort of facing away from the camera you only sort of see the sides of their faces it's it's um it's not really a movie that trucks in like full-on close-ups of her face and yet it still asks you to sort of regard her and this character kind of constantly
0: I think we're also just so used to Botox now, you know, for better or for worse. Like, we see it so often on Instagram, if not actual Botox, the appearance of such with filters. And we just do – we're used to it on – with television actresses, certainly – you yeah. know, to the point where, and I mean, um, please don't come after me, little monsters. I loved <laughs> Lady Gaga in Star is Born. That was one of my favorite performances of that year. But that's not a character who should have Botox or, right. you know, much access right. to it. She's very Botoxed in it. She's yeah. expressive in other ways, certainly with her voice. I've yeah. I've often thought, like, maybe, <laughs> maybe in some weird ways, um, actresses have become better actresses or at least more agile actresses vocally because they've got to come up with other ways to express what they would normally express on their face. Well, this is uh, your next that book, that whole Kyle. thing of like, you know, <laughs> one hand is tied behind your back. So you've got to come right. up with a more creative, uh, you know, way to, to get your, uh, uh your punch across. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, yeah, again, truly wild to go back and revisit it. Cause I thought she, this is the most natural I've seen her in quite some time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I, w- I wrote it down. We don't have to talk about it too much because I do – I kind of bag on the Alliance of Women Film Journalists probably more than I should. But the awards are always just seem a little silly to me. This movie won Movie You Wanted to Love But Just Couldn't from the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, which – in a lineup of a lot of movies we've covered. Wait, so what are the other, You're looking at it right now? I'm not looking at it right the now.
2: The only other movie that uh, they also nominated in this category this year,
1: Evening. Oh! <laughs> sure. Well,
2: I mean, that I mean, not understand. wrong. I did want to love that movie. Evening, Reservation Road. Covered And it. Uh, I guess we're forced to cover this movie now, Georgia Rule.
1: Uh, yes now that it's yes this counts as uh, awards buzz yes georgia rule <laughs> uh wow what a lineup what a moment um yeah what are some they of their other the uh, sort of odd categories that year i don't know what am i even looking at am i looking at the right one
2: jennifer jason lee was Indie spirit nominated for the movie yeah what we're- odd that she's the only nomination
1: Yes. Yeah, if well the indie spirits are always sort of odd that way, and that like you see one nomination for a movie and you're like, well, this was clearly eligible, and yet like you didn't find any other place to put in it. Like they are kind of notorious for nominating a movie in every category, but maybe the one you feel like is the most obvious. Like if you liked Margot the Wedding enough, kind of wild that you wouldn't nominate Nicole Kinman, and yet um she loses out to Cape Blanchett in I'm Not There. Nominated alongside Anna Kendrick in Rocket Science, a movie that I did like. <laughs> um, she plays a uh, competitive debate uh, student in that. And
2: uh, I would never believe Anna Kendrick being cast. It, as it's a competitive perfect. Debater.
1: It's perfect casting. It absolutely capitalizes on her whole vibe in a really uh, in a really good way. Marissa Tomei in before the Devil Knows You're Dead, and then Tamara Podemsky in a movie called Four Sheets to the Wind, that like classic indie spirit uh, nomination, and that I did not see this movie nor hear about it, but I'm glad that they are the ones throwing it some attention. Very good. An interesting lineup. I probably would have voted for Jennifer Jason Leigh. Not that I don't like Kate Blanchett 100%. and I'm not there, but like I probably would have voted, of the ones that I've seen, I probably would have voted for Jennifer. Good for her. Uh, any other odds and on. ends before we uh, transfer into the IMDb game? Kyle, anything else you want to say about Margot at the wedding?
0: Um, I do love the book reading scene. Uh, not just because I saw it lip-synced quite impeccably uh, by my <laughs> friend Wilhelm Sitz. Uh, but it's just, it's you know, we talk about certain you know, one-scene performances that Nicole Kidman has given. Obviously, uh, the uh, opera scene from birth. But truly, look right. up... Um, even even if you're just going to watch one thing from Marco at the Wedding, look up the book reading scene where she is uh, confronted with a theory that she's much like her hated dad uh, in public while doing a book reading. Um, and she so does not know how to respond to that. I mean, you know how she would respond to it if it were in private. She would lash right. out at whoever had said it. But right. since she can't do it on the stage, she begins to free associate in a way that is hilariously crazed and just spins more and more out of control. It's it's some of the best acting I think she's ever done. I had to have our refrigerator repaired the other day at our apartment in Manhattan. And... uh I was alone with this guy. I I, I think he was Puerto Rican. He was some um, sent over by, by Whirlpool, who uh, who uh, I think it is makes our fridge. Uh, um, <clears throat> although he did say that he worked for an independent organization that Whirlpool subcontracts. I think he was. There was. There was an anger in him, and uh, suddenly, suddenly, I um I became afraid for my life. I called um, Jim
2: at NYU, and I uh, I asked him to come home. Um,
1: I think it was Frigidaire who made our friend. Yeah, it's really something. I would it's agree. A standout scene. Um i jot I'm sort of looking at my notes I jotted down the part where uh Jack Black talks about how he hates Bono his theory that uh that there are there are only a finite number of people who get success in this world and uh Bono and uh what's his name dick uh dick kuzman dick kuzman are you know uh, they they're taking up space that other people could have essentially which feels like a Noah Bomback diary entry just sort of you know put on the page there um also, just the fact I'm so mired in this current year's awards race, obviously, that I'm like, oh, okay, so the grandpa from Belfast is licking Lucille Ball's neck in this movie. That's interesting. <laughs> Did not really expect that to happen in this award season, and yet here we are. Um, also, best supporting inanimate object goes to uh, Margot's night guard in this movie which feels <laughs>
2: i was gonna say the tree
1: uh, well oh god the tree climbing scene can we talk about that for the a second? tree
2: climbing scene to me on this rewatch i was like this is like the spiritual sibling of the knife scene in a uh, marriage story huh. which mm. also is incredibly funny to me yeah um and just like a, a perfect observation uh, on Margot in a way that's like. Of course. Not like the caustic things because she just charges into climbing up this tree with absolutely no idea how to get out of that situation. Also, well, it's Pauline's-
0: great because it comes right after that scene I described where Margot says to Pauline. Have you ever noticed how Pauline sometimes can't make eye contact? (laughs) And it's so mean. And you can see Pauline looking for a way to kind of turn it on Margot by essentially goading her into something that she's apparently good at, which is when she was younger, she used to climb a tree. And she obviously does not want to climb the tree. But Pauline very effectively wedges her into a situation where she can't not climb the tree to prove that she can do it. And then once she's up there, she's utterly stuck, which, you know is is, uh, is a great metaphor for just marco in general
1: well and you mentioned the great uh, editing in this movie that's another great edit where all of a sudden pauline just says to claude he's like what happened what happened what's going on she goes she's stuck and then they cut right to the fireman up on the ladder trying to rescue her <laughs> it's a great cut it's really very funny um yeah
2: very good movie i would also say like looping back to the thing about the ending of this movie which yes. like i I don't think that this is just a purely, like, cruel, mean-spirited movie. That there is actually, like, this kind of, like... I don't want to say heart, because, A, it sounds fucking cheap. But it's, like, (laughs) it's not exactly what it is. But, like, it's this setup where Margot is sending her son away... Without even telling him... Without even having, like, the decency to tell him... That this divorce is happening. Sending him away to his father... He wants to know what's going on, and he also wants to be with his mother. And then she ends up chasing the bus to, yes. like, get to be with her son, which is a very, like, movie setup where it's like, no, go be with your son, go be the best version of yourself. But actually, what this movie has, like, been setting up all along is, like, that is a curse for that child. That is a horrible thing that's happening. So it's like, the yeah. thing that you want to happen is sometimes the absolutely the very worst thing uh, for someone to be in in this situation well once so- she
0: gets on that bus isn't she like did you see me chasing you yes. like she's very <laughs> yes. exhilarated by it but she also wants credit very yep. Angelina yep. negotiating for Rice on Survivor Sorry, <laughs> oh my god Mitch, Kyle but- <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's my favorite thing that's ever been said on this podcast it's you're not you're absolutely not wrong angelina ne- negotiating for for rice on survivor should have been an oscar short film entry like they should have just like cut it just to that scene and released it as a as a live action short it would have won i,
0: th- I think we know who the third sister is now it's yes, angelina so- keely from survivor ah, Goliath. that's perfect
1: that's perfect <laughs> Um, I was also going to say about Claude. Claude, uh, present day, that character. Uh, Gay, murderer, or both?
0: (laughs) Yeah, does he grow up to be, you know, a Cody Smith McPhee figure? He's so sensitive, though. He's so sweet, which makes him such a pin cushion for his mom, Yeah, uh, that I think just gay, not murderer.
2: Okay. Chris, where are you? Gay murderer influencer.
1: <laughs> Wait, influencer well, of other up murderers. Look at his
0: Instagram now, and you tell me.
1: <laughs> I like the idea that, like, murderer influencer, like he's like other murderers, like follow him. Well, on he's Instagram. reformed. He
2: killed someone,
1: right? His
2: mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he got a book deal, Hulu miniseries. And now it's yeah. all like self help and yeah. CBD. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, CBD. That's. Yes. Uh, Pedal CBD uh, for a living. Perfect. All right. Chris, do you want to explain to our listeners what the IMDb game is before we jump into it? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for if any of those titles are television voice-only performances or non-acting credits we'll mention that up front after two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue and if that's not enough it just becomes a free-for-all of hints uh veiled insults um psychosis uh, armchair um therapist perfect perfect
1: all right kyle as our guest you get the choice of who you would like to, uh, whether you would like to start off by either giving a clue or guessing a clue, and then which one of us would you like to give or guess from?
0: I'll give to Chris.
1: All right, so you'll give to Chris, Chris will give to me, and then I will give to you. All right, so Uh, why don't you, do you want to start off giving to Chris? Yes. All right, go for it.
0: I mean, somehow you've never done her, so maybe we should just go for the obvious one, Nicole Kidman.
1: We've never oh. done Nicole Kidman. God.
2: And you know, we normally don't do it if they're in the movie, but like I didn't even pull up her page because it's like, you know, that it's all in the brain.
1: Yeah, right, exactly.
0: But I okay. think that her known for's are interesting. Alright.
2: I think it's gonna be difficult, um because I do wonder, honestly, and this will be this will be a crime against me specifically, but I do wonder if her Oscar win is gonna be in there or not. Um I'm going to guess. Um, well, wait. Is there any TV? No TV. Good. This is a good thing.
0: I mean, you would um, think Big Little Lies could be in there, but it ain't.
2: Moulin Rouge.
0: Moulin Rouge is there. Okay. Number one, in fact. Um.
2: No, I'm. I'm just gonna. Her Oscar wins there. The Hours.
0: The Hours is there. Now, Suffer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be annoying, but Paddington. Nope. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, And then beyond that, The Others. Nope. (laughs) Ah, okay, so I get my years.
0: I have 2010 and 2003 for you.
2: Okay, 2010 is Rabbit Hole.
0: Yes, which I never would have expected to be there.
2: Uh Justice for Rabbit Hole. Um, good movie. Low key one of my favorite has to Kidmans. be
1: yeah, Huh? On. I said Low Key, one of my favorite kidman performances, but I was interrupting you getting into your flow, so I'm sorry. No, you're totally fine.
2: Uh interrupt on this podcast, never. <laughs> um O three is Cold Mountain. No, it isn't. Oh, then it has to be, well, because Dogville didn't open in the States until 04. I bet it's Dogville.
0: No, it's fur. No, sorry, you're right. It's Dogville.
2: <laughs> wow, that is an interesting known for for her.
0: Yeah, she has much bigger known fours. you would expect all four to be, you know, pretty significant entries. For it to be Rabbit Hole and Dogville, that really surprised me.
2: Yeah. I would have expected Big Little Lies
0: because she won every award
2: under the sun. So it's like the algorithm of it all.
0: Justice for Doctor Chase
1: Meridian. I'm only saying like, the biggest yeah. movie of the '90s, basically. Yeah. Listen, I, yeah. I
0: guest I hosted Keep It the other day, and I went on a full on, full on rant about Doctor Chase Meridian. Everybody who's saying that the Batman is the sexiest Batman, it's like literally Nicole Kidman was taking off her clothes, throwing herself at Batman. Come on, it's true. Oh, yeah. We used to be yeah. a proper country. she's named after a
2: credit card yes sounds like a credit and a
1: line of longitude like come on
0: like how many people get that yeah yeah exactly all right
2: listen madonna said satin sheets are very romantic but we didn't have photo evidence until batman forever
0: (laughs) dr chase meridian is one of those things like dr christmas jones uh played by denise richards where it's just like a, a doctor character that a 10 year old would make up (laughs)
1: do- <laughs> Dr. Chase Meridian is, uh, is if I were ever to run, like, an underground nightclub or whatever, and you had to name, say, a password to get in the door, that would be the password to get in. I would, I, they'd just say, I'm here to see Dr. Chase Meridian, and then... It, it does flow
0: off the tongue. It really does. Yes,
1: exactly.
2: You would have the people who think they have the code, but, like, you know that they got it from someone who, like, leaked it online, and they would just say Chase Meridian. I know, yes. But they- instead of dr chase
1: and i'd say you get out of here yeah exactly
2: (laughs) all right joseph yes for you i went into the cast list of noah bomback's upcoming white noise to pull for you uh none other than mr don cheadle chris god damn it that was the one that i
1: had picked (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good for you, because uh,
2: I have pulled multiple options.
1: Okay, I'll still give mine to Kyle, because he hasn't uh, already looked at this one yet, but I definitely have. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Well,
2: uh, while Kyle uh, stews on what Don Cheadle could have and is known for, for you, I have also pulled Andre 3000, also known as Andre Benjamin.
1: Benjamin. All right. Um... And they're all um, acting, movie acting credits? All movies. All with
2: character names. And everything. That he played.
1: Four Brothers.
2: Four Brothers, famously one of the movies where everyone on the poster has it and they're known for. It's
1: weird. And yes, uh, all, right. all right. Um, All right. I'm going to stumble on the title of this movie. But um, is it, it's the Jimi Hendrix movie. Is it like Jimmy All is Full of Love or something like that?
2: incorrect
1: okay but is that the title i'll take that uh, i'll the take the title L. is all is by my side all but... is by my side all is full of love is bjork <laughs> never <laughs> mind oh the absolute queerest way to guess the title of that movie is uh saying all is full of love okay um Idol wild yes idle wild correct all right well i've maybe now reached the end of the movies that i definitely know andre F- F- 3000 is in um, He's one of those guys who, like, he could have been in Tomorrowland, and I just don't remember it. Um, like that that uh, strata of movie where he's like seventh build and something. Um, Andre three thousand, Andre three thousand. So he gets famous around like, like crossover famous, around like the late mid to late aughts, right? That's around when Four Brothers is. Um okay i'm gonna guess oh oh shoot isn't he in a guy Ritchie movie
2: can't really tell you yet but rock and rolla incorrect not Damn. rock and rolla uh, the next two uh that you haven't cast yet are also 2005, same year as Four Brothers, so the era that you are thinking of. Right. This guy Ritchie movie has definitely shown up on somebody else's known for. Part of the reason I pulled it for you was because you tortured me with this movie on oh, somebody else's. I remember this movie only for that.
1: So it is a guy Ritchie movie, just not Rock and Roller. Correct. Is it Revolver? It is Revolver. Okay. Okay.
2: The other 2005 movie on Andre Benjamin's known for is the sequel to a movie we have covered on our podcast.
1: Oh. Hmm.
2: Kind of a forgotten sequel. Okay. For good reason, but.
1: Now, all right. Obviously, movies that we've done that got sequels, Captain Corelli's Ukulele. Uh, the mm. sequel to Captain Corelli's Mandolin. <laughs> um, well, th-
2: that's why Andre Benjamin's in it, because uh, he's a musician. Right, He right? plays Captain
1: Corelli's ukulele. Right, he does play uh, the, the title ukulele, yes. Um, movies that we've done that have gotten sequels.
2: The only recurring cast member in this movie is the lead star.
1: Oh. Were there, like, recasts, or they just, like, they put him in a whole new situation? It's or this her.
2: character in a whole different situation. I shouldn't
1: be... Uh, I shouldn't assume that's it's the man. But, in
2: uh... the original, the character was in one industry, and in this movie, he goes to a different industry.
1: Oh! Adjacent. Oh, uh, it's Be Cool, the, the sequel to it Get Shorty. Oh, be wow.
0: Cool. Yeah. Completely forgotten.
1: He's what? He's, a he's, uh... He's now fully um, a producer in in the second one.
0: Isn't the Rock gay in it?
1: That I forget. I'm pretty also sure. I lied.
2: Danny DeVito is in this movie.
0: Okay, uh,
1: the the titular shorty from the first one.
2: All right, the filmography of Christina Milian.
1: A uh, well pivoted Chris. That we uh, we haven't chosen the same person in a while. I always feel like I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often to us. But uh,
2: I always pull a couple options
1: just. In case. All right, so Kyle, you've had some extra time to uh, marinate God. on this, but yes, uh, Don Cheadle, one of the many stars in Noah Baumbach's upcoming White Noise, and uh, uh, I leave it to you to try and guess is known for. I believe there is no uh, no television, no oh, good. voice work. It's all okay. Filmmaking. Good.
0: Well, so this one four came to mind immediately. However, he's been in many Marvel movies, and that could fuck things up. Um, but I'm gonna go with his oscar successes first which crash
1: crash correct
0: okay and then hotel rwanda
1: correct okay
0: i'm gonna guess ocean's 11
1: incorrect strike oh
0: um boogie nights
1: incorrect strike two all right so your remaining years are 2000 and 2011
0: 2011 would that be iron man 2
1: no, it is not. I believe Iron Man 2 is 2010.
0: Oh, wow. Well, now I know. <laughs> um, shoot. What else? Um,
2: I'll help you out with a yes. the hint. There's no Marvel here.
0: <laughs> there's no Marvel. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Um, would we consider him to be the stars of these movies or a significant supporting player?
2: Uh, well, 2011, one, he's second build. Yes. And he is part of a starry ensemble of 2000. Yes.
0: In 2011? Wait, would that be like Ocean's 13?
1: No, the starry ensemble is 2000. 2011, he's second build behind uh, sort of the the lead of the movie. That lead in the 2011 movie got a Golden Globe nomination. Well, who but did? kind of, <laughs> kind of nothing else in that season, or at least nothing um, more prominent than that.
0: I'm drawing a blank. Wait, so there are no more oceans? No, the, no
1: oceans, floor. no Marvel. What marbles. other starry
0: ensemble? Oh, was he in traffic? Yes. Was that he one? Is?
1: yes, traffic is one of them. yes. So you've what? gotten three Come of on. the four. Okay,
0: sure. <laughs> um, so we're we're it's just the 2011 one. Yes. Um. Wow, I'm going to need more, unfortunately.
1: Okay, Coast, like I said, Coastar was a Golden Globe nominee. One of those Golden Globe nominees where you look and you're like, "That's a movie?" Like that was That's uh... every Golden Globe nominee. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so I'm guessing that it's maybe in the comedy musical category, uh, since it has its fair share of those.
1: Yes. Okay. Um I've not seen this movie. I'm trying to uh, um I'm not sure. The writer
2: director of this movie is the brother yes. of a uh, somewhat reviled but well reviewed recent uh, best picture frontrunner.
0: Oh my god! Non American specific. Yeah, the brother of a the the writer director of a reviled recent best right. picture frontrunner. Um. They're I both kind of so uh,
1: playwright slash filmmakers. Right? Oh, uh
0: McDonough. Oh, yeah. which one was Don Cheadle in? Um shoot. Uh oh, was it um was it the one Seven Psychopaths?
1: No, no. it's not a Martin McDonough movie. It's one of the brothers movies. John the- Michael McDonough. Yes.
0: Yes. Oh, I haven't seen all of his shit. Um, I so
1: no, the star of this movie was the star of one of Martin McDonough's, I would say, best movies, if not his actual best, like maybe his actual best.
0: So in Bruges,
1: yes, who's the star of that?
0: Uh, Colin, well, the other star of that, (laughs) uh, uh, who else? Oh, it was was the other one in in Bruges,
1: the sort of focal, Uh, the focal character, the, the, your, your. You know, I still, proteins. yeah,
0: it's not coming to me what Don Cheadle was in. Uh, I, I, why is this on his known for? Is I, it's a good known for movie. It's bizarre.
1: No, it's, it's one of the classic, like, I can't believe this is on a known for.
0: Uh, I believe it,
2: it's also on Brendan. Gle- oh, well, I just, yeah,
0: Brendan Gleason's, <laughs> yeah, guy. yeah, Brendan Gleason, but I'm still not getting there from it. All right. Uh, um, I'm drawing a blank. You know, this is why I hate games, I hate what it does to me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It is called The Guard. Oh my
0: god. I've not seen
1: it. (laughs) Chris, have you seen The Guard? I have not seen The Guard. Alright, so none of us have seen seen.
0: The Guard, so we don't acknowledge this movie. Yeah, Yeah. no, I haven't seen it either, I don't think. So, apparently,
1: uh, go fuck yourself, Boogie Nights. Go fuck yourself, all of Marvel. Go fuck yourself, uh, uh, Golden Palace, the television series that uh, Don Cheadle was on. Apparently, you're all... Like, House of Lies, which he got, like, 8 billion Emmy nominations for, that Showtime series. All of it less prominent than uh, The Guard. So
0: Wildness.
1: There we go. Kyle, uh, once again, thank you so, so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, really fantastic to have you here. Thank you for bringing uh, Margot back into our lives for better or for... Uh, Uh, For far more toxic, but uh, we really appreciate it. We had a great talk. Let the listeners know where they can buy your book, because
0: they should. I mean, I think you can basically buy it anywhere you buy fine books. You can buy it on uh, Amazon or whatnot at local bookstores. Um, uh, Matt's Aller Sites has uh, an online bookstore where I sent in a whole bunch of signed copies. If you want a signed version of the book, Um, so get to googling.
2: Uh, we will put a link on our tumblr page yes
1: oh great uh, Good. uh kyle just you have very very uh striking and beautiful eyes and please don't the uh, listeners don't spray anything into them if you see kyle out <laughs> in the <wild>. um <laughs> be considerate of your uh oscar pundits and authors that sometimes they don't like shit being sprayed in their eye that stressed me <laughs> out so much kyle it's gonna stay with me for a while it really is Oh, well, um, it
0: was—it was pure adrenaline. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and hey, you did witness him, so I guess you uh, accomplished.
0: Yes, quite physically, I witnessed it.
1: Indeed. All right, Chris File, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on
2: Letterboxd and Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L.
1: All right, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R E I D. I'm also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Kyle, do you want people to follow you on Twitter, or uh, is that a thing that?
0: Yeah, follow me on Twitter, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't follow me on Instagram or anywhere else. I'm not on Letterboxd. People say, uh, actually, a lot of people have said when they come and sign the book, they're like, do you have a Letterbox?" And I'm like, no, I get paid to write about movies. I'm not going to do any more uh, <laughs> freelance work in that regard than I need to these days. I'm busy. Uh, um, here I
1: am <laughs> giving it away for free.
0: Well, many do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, follow me on Twitter. I'll try to make it fun. Um, what is your Twitter um, handle? My Twitter handle is Kyle Buchanan. Um, Interesting. Uh, if you're following me in April, I, I really wonder if I'll be tweeting at all or if I'll be completely... I was going to that. say,
1: we'll I say. hope you have a vacation lined up uh, very soon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll
0: I try to not tweet more than, what, two or three times a day. Uh, I, I, was it Demi Adejuikbe who said once that you should treat Twitter like you get one tweet a day? And now, of course, he doesn't even tweet at all. Uh, But I kind of took that to heart. No, it's smart. Obviously, during Oscar season, especially in Oscar season, when you have a book coming out, you are obligated to tweet far more. But um, at least I try to make it fun. Yes. not drawing anybody into any feuds. Um, Coming (laughs) with the jokes. (laughs) Do you
1: see how these people are treating me? You say every week on uh, on Twitter. And yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We would like to thank uh, Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So quit being resentful of Bono's success and write us a nice review, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz.